0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Trump has canceled the summit with North Korea's Kim Jong Un. People are making a very big deal out of this, but it's not all that unexpected and doesn't necessarily mean that we can't still see progress there. Plus, a traffic stop that led to some horrific allegations against a Texas highway patrolman turns out they were all false. And we know this because of body camera footage. We'll get into that. And also, what words are you allowed to say and what words are you not? A debate, a discussion based on what happened at a concert in Atlanta. We'll talk about that and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show.
0: Where the mission, our mission, is to decode what really matters
1: with actionable
0: intelligence. One
2: small turning. Make no mistake. America, You're a
0: great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst, former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now,
1: welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me as always. Oh boy, what a day! Uh, this is one of these days where you see that one story break and you go, "All right, it's going to be what everyone's talking about all day." And isn't it amazing? Everybody's a North Korea expert today, or even an international relations, international affairs expert. Lots and lots of opinions on this one. People getting into the Wikipedia, the, the deep dive analysis of Wikipedia going on with with North Korean. Uh, nuclear negotiations in the past, and I mean, journalists must just be wearing their fingers down to the bone doing Google searches over this stuff. What have what have we been saying here all along, team? Less than fifty-fifty, all along. It's a a gamble. It was a long shot, long bomb into the end zone, however you want to phrase it, and doesn't look like it's going ahead right now that doesn't mean that this is some kind of uh disaster it it doesn't mean that anything has been lost by the way i completely uh, disagree with those who are coming out and saying that uh this is we we've lost something here anything else but play 16 and 17 john just so folks can hear from trump himself based on
2: the recent statement of north korea I have decided to terminate the planned summit in singapore on june 12th while many things can happen and a great opportunity lies ahead potentially i believe that this is a tremendous setback for north korea and indeed a setback for the world i've spoken to general mattis and the joint chiefs of staff and our military which is by far the most Powerful anywhere in the world that has been greatly enhanced recently, as you all know, is ready if necessary. If and when Kim Jong-un chooses to engage in constructive dialogue and actions, I am waiting. In the meantime, our very strong sanctions, by far the strongest sanctions ever imposed and maximum pressure campaign will continue as it has been continuing but no matter what happens and what we do we will never ever compromise the safety and security of the united states of america
1: there you have it from the president Look, tried Still a lot of pressure on North Korea. They may, they may come back to the table. Did anyone think this was going to be easy? No. Oh, well, at least we didn't think it was going to be easy. I can't speak for the Democrats. They were just rooting against Trump, which in this case really does mean they were rooting against America, though. Tough to separate those two things, right? When the President of the United States is approaching a foreign country about an issue of such critical national security importance, it seems pretty clear that we should all be at least hoping for the best. That wasn't the case. In fact, there was uh, a lot of uh, media chin wagging and chest thumping uh, over this whole situation. Play 22.
3: The art of diplomacy is a lot harder
4: than the art of the deal.
0: That Nobel Peace Prize he was... There you go. go. (laughs) The
4: letter that
5: the president sent is, it sounds like a 13-year-old stream of consciousness in a breakup letter from overnight camp.
3: Failure of uh, the Trump administration's approach, its impulsive actions. Big win for Kim Jong-un.
5: Kim (laughs) Jong-un is the big winner.
3: When you run international affairs like it's a TV reality show uh, and you don't prepare, uh, things
1: fall apart. I mean, what are they basing any of this on? Every administration before Trump has been completely swindled and schooled by North Korea. Every single one. There has not been a presidency that has had to deal with a nuclear North Korea that hasn't failed to do anything meaningful to stop their missile program, to stop their nuclear research, and just their general hyper-militarism. So you know they can trot out as many. I mean, the Democrats, right? Obama's foreign policy legacy is a joke. It really is. It's just a joke. It's garbage. A lot of people sitting in a room with around Obama think they're really smart. They just weren't that smart. They're used to being in the faculty lounge. Used to getting a lot of uh, cheering for them on various left-leaning news networks, which is basically all but one of them. No real world successes to point to, you know, foreign policy team of the likes of Ben Rhodes, Susan Rice, Samantha Power. Not brilliant people, not trustworthy people, not honorable people. We're going to listen to what they have to say. And their supporters and their enablers, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world. You know, I I just want to hear from Nancy Pelosi about where I can get the best butler service. You know, she really doesn't have anything to add to this conversation. Oh, but she thought she did, didn't she? Weighing in on this one uh, a lot. Play clip six.
5: We got the president's letter, the copy of the president's letter um, chumming up. It's kind of like a valentine.
1: I think it's a good thing for
5: Kim Jong-un. Here you had a thug, a person who killed all his own family members, a person who has uh, runs a police state uh, being legitimized by the president of the United States. They were... On a par with each other, he got global recognition and regard. And when he got this letter from the president saying, okay, never mind, he must be having a giggle fit right there now in North Korea.
1: Nancy Pelosi has a long history of rooting against this country, by the way. I remember what she was like during the Iraq War. I remember what she was like during briefings from senior government analysts, during the Iraq war. And let me tell you, it was hard not to feel a little twinge of rage when you got the sense that she didn't want good news, even if that good news meant lower casualty numbers of U.S. troops abroad, meant stabilization of provinces in Iraq that would mean, yes, lower casualties for Iraqis, but also fewer of our guys coming back wounded and maimed. He just wanted to make sure that she come back in, be in the majority, keep her seat, hang out with fancy types out in Marin County in California. Not rooting for the country. I mean, she's a hack and a has-been, but she doesn't know it yet. It's very frustrating to see her waxing philosophical on this issue. Let me just tell you this. The, the whole, oh, you can't meet or, or or you can't even do any outreach to... Kim Jong-un, keep in mind, the sanctions were all in place. Nothing was given to Kim Jong-un here. All right, People that say, look, whoa, Obama and Iran, look what how the Republicans were so mad over that. Yeah, that's because we showed up and said, we'll do anything to get a deal. We'll just give you all this stuff. You don't have to do anything painful, Iran. Obama really wants this. Trump says, you want to talk? Let's talk. Still going to keep all the sanctions on. Still going to have the most crippling sanctions against your, your regime ever. But we'll talk if you want. The whole legitimizing Kim Jong-un thing, it's a pariah state already. How how are we going to chip away at this problem by, by what, pretending it's an even worse country or having more UN summits where we talk about how bad North Korea is? Legitimizing it. That's been the talking point for those with nothing better to say, stretching back for multiple, at least three administrations. Three different presidencies, both parties. And don't want to legitimize Kim Jong-un. Don't want to legitimize him. Well, while we're so worried about legitimizing him or not, the guy's getting missiles that are, he's going to be able to you know, drop a nuke in the middle of Kansas by the time we finally figure out, well, maybe we should have tried the legitimizing talking to him process. What they've done before hasn't worked. We really don't want to have a military incursion, which is a general way of saying military strikes to what degree and how, and I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm an academic on the subject of, of Korea. I'm not a, a, a former practitioner, right? This wasn't part of my AO back in my government days. What would a strike look like? How bad would it be? We know it would be catastrophic. We know a lot of people would die. And you also know that any time you engage in military conflict like that with a country with a a vast military apparatus, you know, yeah, a lot of their stuff is old, dusty AK-47s and artillery pieces from, you know, the 50s. Those things still fire, still kill a lot of people. So it would have been a really great thing if Trump had been able to move the football down the field here it would have been and it really wasn't about whether he could get a Nobel peace prize i, mean, I know people like to mock him and joy behar who i don't think could find pyongyang on pyongyang on a, on a map um if if you just you know gave her the korean peninsula where's where is pyongyang joy well i know where it is i'll tell you where it is imbeciles all over the place that are celebrating the failure of a diplomatic initiative that one hasn't even failed yet just this is where it is right now it's 18 months into the trump presidency unlike obama we don't get to look back at eight years of failure and make a declarative and final judgment that oh yeah it's a failure this is different this is something else This is the early stages of what will certainly be. I've told you all along, and I know you know this too, it's a process. It is a process. There was no way this was going to be a short, easy win. No one thought that was going to be the case. But they're trying to hold Trump to this, and and it's just so frustrating to watch them gloat over America's loss. Because that is what they're doing. That is what's happening today. It's not the end of the world. We didn't legitimize anything We're trying to talk. You know, the same people, I, I just, I have to point this out, the s- exact same people right now who are all ha-ha-ha-ha, boo boo about this summit getting called off are people who would tell you, well, anyone who knows anything about Afghanistan says we need to talk to the Taliban. You know, gen- you know this general and that general, they say we have to talk to the Taliban. Oh, Okay. So that doesn't legitimize the Taliban in the Democrat foreign policy media industrial complex's eyes, right? That doesn't somehow give it. But talking to Kim Jong-un, who who is head of state of a country with nuclear missiles, folks, we can pretend he's not, but he is. We we can act like he's, he's as illegitimate as you want to, but it doesn't change the situation. But just note that inconsistency. Note the only consistency that liberals give you is their hypocrisy. Right, smart people, i.e. Obama's foreign policy team and the generals that Obama was working with in his administration, and I'm sure some generals now, I'm not, I'm not saying that this isn't, this has become kind of a consensus issue. But the Democrats will certainly defend, yeah, talk to the Taliban to fix Afghanistan. I can tell you right now, and I don't care what any general says, that's preposterous. Never going to work. Unless you think working means eventually the Taliban runs Afghanistan. Because that's what's going to happen. But that, they think, is okay. Talking to Kim Jong-un or even trying to talk to him face-to-face, that's legitimizing him, undermining our authority, all, all, all that stuff, all that stuff. Oh, or maybe it's just because they hate Trump. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, we are going to talk about some other subjects here today beyond just North Korea, I promise you that. But we have Michael Oslin joining us. He's one of my favorites on, uh, on all issues of East Asia geopolitics. He's from the Hoover Institute. He'll be with us probably in the next hour. Uh, not having Gordon Chang on today just because we couldn't get him, but we'll get him. We'll get him come hang out with us another time. Um, you know, Gordon's always welcome. And uh, this traffic stop that I want to tell you about is—it should be a national media story, and it's not. And I find that very, very frustrating. And then some footage from a concert where a, where a young woman said something and got called out for it because of. The rules we have around who's allowed to say what words. Uh, so, we're going to get into a whole bunch of different stuff today, but we're still sticking, sticking with North Korea for a bit more. 844 900 2825. 844 900 buck. Stay with me, team.
5: This takes. Preparation, this takes knowledge, this takes judgment. And clearly, it takes preparation, which the president didn't make. It's clear he didn't know what he was getting into, and now he's walking away from it. In this very chummy, palsy-wowsy letter to Kim Kim Jong-un, he, Kim Jong-un,
3: is the big winner. This is a blame America first Mm -hmm. statement by Nancy Pelosi. When she Mm -hmm. has a choice between playing Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un, she picks Donald Trump to blame. For no reason other than she's a Democrat and she wants to score points against Donald Trump on an issue where Americans should be unified against Kim Jong-un. She's so anti-Trump. But there, you could tell there was a tenor to this, and I said this last week, that if Trump cancels, the press will blame Trump. And they did. If Kim Jong-un cancels, the press will blame Trump.
1: Yeah, Fleischer's right on that one. Yeah, it's true. If uh, they can pick. I- I've said to you before, I-, I think that there are a lot of liberals, if I walked around Washington, D.C. and asked them, Who's a bigger threat to world peace, Trump or Kim Jong-un? They'd say Trump. Who's a bigger fascist, Kim Jong-un or Trump? They'd say Trump. And and think they're smart for saying it, too. This is just yet another sign of Trump derangement syndrome. But let's hear, you know who I like on this one? Let's hear from the, the Dersh on this one. Play 15. This is
3: playing into Donald Trump's strong suite. He knows how to make a deal. He knows how to walk away from the table. He knows how to offer to come back to the table. I'm certainly not going to second guess our president when it comes to negotiating with North Korea. I don't think he had any choice. Once he heard what I think once he heard what the leader of North Korea said about the United States, said about our vice president, he had no choice but to walk away. But he's walked away in a conditional sense. And he said, I welcome you to come back but on my terms remember we have most of the cards in this negotiation and i think the president's playing them well
1: yeah i think so too i like i like the, i like what the dersh has to say on this one not not just on the legal stuff he's good on north korea too look at that uh i i agree with him on this one the trump administration is playing the cards that they have i think they're playing them pretty well in the circumstances i i think it's so funny You really have to be historically either ignorant or just not care about history to look at what Trump has done so far in North Korea and say, oh, yeah, he's failed. Oh, really? What do we get with eight years of Obama? Let's be honest, what do we get with eight years of Bush and what we get with eight years of Clinton? Massive fail, as the kids say, on North Korea. No question. No question at all oh is it epic fail oh gosh whenever I say as the kids say there's a good chance I'm getting it wrong Um, 844-900-BUCK if you want to chat what do you think about Trump and North Korea and uh, then we got some other stuff to discuss as well
0: he's holding the line for America Buck Sexton is back
1: all right, we got lines lit here in the Freedom Hunt. Let's get to it. Uh, Dewey in Georgia. Welcome, sir.
6: Hey, bug Shields high. How you doing, buddy?
1: Shields high, my friend. I'm good. Thank you for calling in.
6: Uh, yeah, I'd just like to make a comment on what you were saying about the Taliban and Afghanistan and North Korea now. Uh, you're right on the fact that if we... If we talked to the Taliban, that ain't going to do nothing but run Afghanistan. And I think that if we would have marched through Korea instead of politicizing it the way we did, we wouldn't have to be talking to him now. It's the same thing they do over and over and over again. They politicize wars instead of letting people fight them.
2: And we wouldn't have this problem if we could take care of stuff at the beginning.
1: Well, I I think that the the Democrats' legacy in general on national security, on on issues of of war and peace uh it's it's really bad <laughs> so there you go i mean on on uh, their positions stretching back and dealing with uh, north korea in fact y- you go all the way back to the korean war i think it's interesting when you see some of the debates and discussions around what should happen there and people forget i mean it, it's called the forgotten war for a reason right I mean, this is under a u.n mandate uh, we lost large numbers of of soldiers it just gets for whatever reason, lost by the wayside, and you know that was a conflict that very easily could have spiraled even beyond what it was. Uh, had had we decided well, to retaliate against China more aggressively than we did on the Chinese uh, and go after them on the Chinese mainland, but but do we? I, I hear you, man. I mean, this this stuff we're seeing uh, from people now about how it's legitimizing Kim Jong Un. Do we think that he's going to just? crawl up into a ball in the corner and cry himself to sleep because we're delegitimizing him all the time i mean this is nonsense
2: yes yes sir indeed well shields high do we thank you thank you for
1: calling in man i appreciate it bobby in mississippi you're up sir
2: hey buck shields
1: high shields high (laughs)
6: listen uh i got something to tell the left in order to fail at something you actually have to have a negotiation first nothing ever got started so how can it be a failure? You know, I mean, they're just—they're nuts. Anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, what? what how do they think this is going to get any better? By the way, we've had sanctions for a very long time. Trump has put on even more sanctions, but if you don't open the, the purpose of sanctions, I think the Democrats forget this, or they don't understand this, or it could be all the above, or they just pretend not to know. The purpose of sanctions is to create the circumstances for dialogue on favorable terms for us and our partners in the sanctions, right? It's not, you, you don't just sanction people because you feel like it. Right? The, the idea is to get a change in their behavior, and to get that change in behavior, you have to have a negotiation. Well, if we're if our negotiating point is we won't talk to your leader because he's a you know a big, fat dummy head, we're not going to get anywhere the rocket man (laughs) yeah real rocket man no but i mean you know i mean you you make a very valid point what i'm saying is okay he'll call him rocket man but if rocket rocket man there there you go (laughs) you know he will he'll call him that. that but the moment he wants to stop being little rocket man and start being the guy who could lead north korea away from being a a ghoulish relic of the cold war and the world's largest freestanding gulag i mean that's he could be that guy if you want, you know, Kim Jong-un could, or he can be a little rocket man, right? But Trump opens up those those pathways. I, I can't even remember the Obama administration having a, a serious moment in the national conversation about how to deal with North Korea. It was like, yeah, sanctions, no, and, you know, sanctions. Yeah, and,
6: and you know, the Democrats gave them everything they wanted, and that to them, that was a big win. But the United States really lost because they've gotten so far ahead with the 2 to $4 billion we gave them, and only in one area to be more
1: against the United States. I hear you. Bobby, thank you for the call, man. Good to talk to you down in Mississippi. Ah, you know. There you go. Um, go to a, we'll talk more about this later, but play 11 for me for a second. One, one more thing on North Korea. Well, I'm just interested in the way Donald Trump did not
3: explicitly answer what changed. It makes mm-hmm. me think that it's not just a straight United States, North Korea matter, that there's something involving China and North Korea that the president doesn't like, but he's not ready yet to come out and blame China for. That's just my guess based on what the president said and how he said it, because it's logical. Yeah. You should explain what changed. Why well, didn't he?
1: I, I, uh, I've been saying that all along, all day today here in the office, and China is not helpful. Not helpful on this one. Cannot trust the Chinese to have, never mind the U.S. interest, but the world's interests at heart on North Korea. You just can't. Um, They they're playing their own game and they're playing for keeps on this one. So I think that's, that's important for us all to keep in mind. I do want to talk about the, uh, the situation with the NFL. This is getting so much attention. Everybody, you know, it's sports, it's politics. uh, What do you, what do you guys think about that? I didn't really ask for calls on this earlier. I'm curious if any of you have thoughts on this one. I I feel like this is, I gave you a, a straight up analysis of it yesterday It's a private organization It hurts ticket sales. A majority, a huge majority of Americans don't want there to be protests during the national anthem. It's not preventing protests in a public park or a public square. This isn't government action. This is private party action. They're allowed to set their own rules for conduct. Just as I said, the same way they're allowed to say no excessive end zone celebrations, they can say no messing around during the national anthem and that this is a sensitive area for a lot of players or a lot of people watching or whatever the case may be, doesn't negate the rights that the owners and the people involved in the private enterprise, the National Football League, have. I don't understand. I'm seeing some other folks out there saying, oh, this is like the right now acting like the left and it's deplatforming. No, no, no. Why? I mean, I won't say this isn't that complicated. It's a complicated issue, but I also think it's a clear issue right? Once you think through it, maybe I'm missing something. Usually when I say that, though, I'm not missing anything. I just like to say that. So it seems like I'm willing to be intellectually humble about the subject at hand. Um, I have other things I say when I really don't know, but maybe I'm missing something is like, we know I'm right, but feel free to challenge me on this one if you want, or or feel free to tell me uh, what I'm missing. Uh, 844-900-BUCK, if you want to call in on those lines, talk about this and uh, some other Very interesting topics. I I really... You know, I almost led the show today with this uh, traffic stop because these, these stories never get the attention they deserve and police have been so unfairly treated in general, law enforcement, so unfairly treated in the media with the exception of the FBI and FBI spying stuff. That is, like, sacrosanct. I think we all know why. But... Actual law enforcement, forget about the James Comeys and the McCabes. The guys who are walking down the street, keeping people safe, making sure that you know nobody comes breaking into grandma's house with a baseball bat or something, they get treated very badly by the media, and their stories don't get told when it doesn't fit the narrative. And I, I have, I'm telling you, when you hear what went on and what's going to be in the next hour in this, this case in Texas, just happened this week. Just happened. It's just eye-opening about, one, how the media is almost complicit in the lie that law enforcement you know, gets away with all kinds of really bad stuff all the time. What we're learning, because of the information and, and basically the constant surveillance state we now all live in, we're learning is that a lot of citizens actually mistreat officers and lie about officers. During their, what a shocker that is, right? Lie about what happens to them during encounters with police. And this is why I'm I you know body cameras and dash cameras everywhere. Everybody. We should have a record of all this. No more guessing, no more insinuations from you know, either civil rights groups or pro police groups or anything. Just just facts that we can sort out. Um all right, eight four 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 nine hundred bucks. I I Got to talk to you about this NFL thing, though, just because I guess after North Korea, this is like the primary thing that people in the country want to talk about. So this is the Freedom hub. We will talk about what the folks want. We'll be right back.
5: I would be more okay with it if they had consulted with the players. Uh, This was... (laughs) I don't think the players agreed to this. This is the owners. And by the way, it's the owners who would be
2: fined. Talk a little bit about what the national anthem protest actually refers to. They're an expression of pain. I think we have to understand
3: the notion that the protests are saying we have something happening that does not conform
1: to our American values and has to end and can end
3: nobody likes to be ordered around unless you're in the military and they feel like this is being put upon them and it's putting a lot of pressure on them to choose between something that's constitutionally protected and going with the team and i understand teams are corporations but right now we're living in a time where um, nobody especially on the right is standing up to the statement that he put out today that's joseph mccarthy
1: i mean wow First of all, whenever you have somebody talking about the First Amendment and they do this, I, I understand blah bitty, blah 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 First Amendment, but <laughs> you know you know you're not going to hear anything particularly insightful after the but, right? You know I understand that technically they have a right to do it, but well, yeah, you have a right to say that you wish that this rule didn't exist, but they have a right to make the rule. This is people are trying to make this a a much more uh, difficult issue to understand, I think, just because it's there, there's a lot of clarity here. I, I also just can't help but, but point out that these protests were occurring before Trump came into office. And then Trump said something about them, and then you had all these players, much larger numbers of players, who were taking a knee, and also the media's interest in the taking a knee by players became you know, infinitely... More intense. Uh, and now they really want to see what's going on with this whole taking a knee thing. are right? a lot of interest in that. I really want to know. And I just can't help but but sit here and say to myself, okay, so how much of this has really just become not even a proxy for police brutality or whatever they say it is. Uh, how much of this is really just about protesting Trump now for a lot of players in the media? Right? This has become a, a proxy for that, I think. And I don't follow the NFL all that closely. It is one of the few professional sports, I will tell you. I mean, I'm not actually a communist. I, I do watch the NFL. Uh, but that's, that's my sense of this, is that this is one of these issues where people have now wrapped this up. This is the same way, like, why are there women's marches now? Women's rights haven't been changed. I think women are you know, better off now, more of them in school, more of them in grad school, more CEOs. Women are literally in a better position now, at least economically and rights-wise speaking, than they've ever been in the history of the United States and the history of the world. Why are there women's marches? Well, because it's just an, a, an emotional response to Trump and Trumpism, right? And And that third-wave feminism or, you know, left-wing feminism, whatever we want to call it, right? The stuff you see in in Mary Claire and that's uh Democrat party dogma about women th- that is gathering people together and mobilizing them against Trump. That's what, that's what's happening. Okay. But on the NFL side, I, I think that you're seeing a similar thing that the kneeling, because Trump mentioned something about it, the kneeling was a time when players all of a sudden felt like they needed uh, within you know their own communities, their circles of friends, to show that they will not uh, cave to this Trump era. I guess I mean I, you know that's how I that's at least what I see happening here. But I also think that the players don't understand. You know, you may view this one way, but a lot of people view it another way. And I would just note that a lot of the same people that I hear who say, for example, who will bring up, oh, uh, the Confederate flag may mean states' rights or it might be a historical symbol or it might be you know, all the things that people say about the Confederate flag to you, but to people from certain communities in this country, it symbolizes you know racism, slavery, segregation. When the national anthem is being played, and you take that as a moment to make your own political statement in criticism of the country, you may think when you're doing that, players, that you're protesting injustice, inequality, whatever. But a lot of people watching who have had family members killed in combat in recent years, who've had family members that will carry... The wounds of warfare, psychological and physical, with them for the rest of their lives, or who themselves watching served and lost friends, lost, lost family. They see this as blatant disrespect for their service and their sacrifice. And I gotta say, you know, you you, you can't you can't make the one claim and not see how people can make the other claim, right? You can't say, well. You may think of it as this, but to the rest of, uh, of this community on the Confederate flagpoint, it represents all these really, really hateful and destructive and bad things. Therefore, it should be banished from the public square. The same people that make that argument seem completely unwilling to understand. It doesn't matter if they think that... And now I'm, I'm talking about this on the, the ideology involved, right? Not on the... The, legal, the legality is clear as day. They can tell them to stay in the locker room, they can... They can tell them they can't play football anymore. They can fire people, or you know, based on whatever the contracts allow. Uh, it is really disrespectful to, I, and I know this, and I've seen a lot of people speak about this. A lot of current and former service members like it just comes across as really disrespectful during the national anthem because of what it means to all the rest of us. And by the way, because the NFL has made a very conspicuous effort to have military present at games, to have military flyovers during games, you know, the, 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 we're not stretching here to connect these things. The beginnings of L, uh, the beginnings of NFL games are treated largely, uh, a, a lot of it is like a rally for our, a rally in support of our military. I've been, I went to a game this past year, that's what I saw, right? They bring service members out, they go to service members in the in the uh, audience, and they salute them, and they, as they should, and I, I think this is all great. I think it's the right thing to do, I think it's brilliant for the NFL to do it but because they're doing that to cause a scene and make a scene of yourself during the anthem when other people watching and in that audience are having flashbacks to Fallujah and Helmand and you name it I think it's time for these NFL players to get a little bit of a wake up call on this one. got a lot more coming up I bet there are a lot of people listening to this show right now who drink coffee. And maybe you've been drinking the same coffee for a long time. Maybe you like drinking coffee that is basically brought to you by Bernie Sanders supporters. But I've got a much better idea for you. And that is Black Rifle Coffee. You should just go online. Check it out for yourself. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Once you see what they've got, I'm telling you, this is going to be your coffee company of choice. By the way, they've also got apparel and gear up there on the site, but they have AK-47 Espresso Blend. They've got a blend that's literally called Freedom Blend. What could be more perfect for the Freedom Hut? Just go check it out, and you'll see for yourself. Make sure you use the coupon code BUCK15 for 15% off. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash BUCK. Coupon code BUCK15 for 15% off. Join the coffee or die revolution. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Buck Sexton.
0: Mission. Decoding the news. And disseminating information. With actionable intelligence. One. All. Make. Make no
1: mistake. America.
0: great. you Break your great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA
1: analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Buck Sexton Show team. I'm going to tell you about... This uh, this traffic stop, it's quite a story, and it should be a national news story. I think F- Fox News did pick it up today, so it's getting more traction, but this would be wall-to-wall if it were a different narrative. This would be something that would be the, the lead story in a lot of networks if, for example, the accusations leveled against the officer were true. But because they're completely untrue as proven by the video evidence, you won't hear much about this case at all. And, and this needs to stop. There, there is a, a, a real s- uh, slew of these kinds of cases. I mean, I really wish that there was a better database out there of how many accusations, false accusations of racism are, level, are leveled against police officers only to be found out to be untrue later because of dash cam or body cam footage and then how many assaults uh, and sexual assaults alleged against officers turn out to be fabricated later on. But uh, we'll get to that in just a few moments. We have a couple of calls here I wanted to take, so I always enjoy hearing from all of you, and then we'll move on to that story and, uh, and a whole lot more in just a few moments. Uh, we have Jackie in Idaho. Hey, Jackie.
6: Hi. Hi. I uh, wanted to comment on what you were saying about the Women's March and the Women's Live movement. Um, you think that Trump appointing the first female deputy director of the CIA would be a major deal?
1: Director, in, actually, in yeah, director things. of the CIA.
6: Yeah, and uh, no one's saying anything about it. It seems like it's not even about women in general anymore. It's about certain women in particular with ideals the media agrees with.
1: Oh yeah, the left wing media thinks that they can, in this, in a sense, r- r- you know, take away a woman's woman card. You know what I mean? You don't count anymore. If you are not part of the left wing feminist agenda, uh, which increasingly, by the way, is just is just incoherent, nasty and I think self-defeating when you when you see a lot of what's promoted these days as what would essentially be radical feminism. It's really destructive and it it is actually expressly anti-male as well.
6: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, they talk about toxic masculinity. What does that even mean? I'm sorry. Go ahead, uh, Jackie.
6: I'm just saying I love your show. I listen to it every
1: day. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. I appreciate it. Shields high. Thanks for calling from Idaho. Good to hear from you. Dan in Detroit. What up, Dan? How you doing, Buck? It's great to talk to you. You too.
6: I listened to you a few times on The Blaze, and then you kind of disappeared, and then I found you on iHeartRadio,
0: and I'll tell you what, I've been listening daily for about the last two, three months now, and... And that's the three best hours of my day.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dan. That's really kind of you. Thank you. So what's on your mind?
0: Uh, I was
2: uh, When you came back in with the Nancy Pelosi comments about, well, I wish they would have consulted
0: the players. It's like, well, I guess that's how we should run our jails and our schools. And, you know, we'll consult the inmates and see what the rules ought to be. It's just such ridiculousness coming out of their mouths now. No well, yeah, down look, down.
1: I, I would love it if, if my bosses that I've always had would consult me on every rule and regulation. But, you know, yeah. if they tell me to show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, guess what? I don't get to say, whoa, whoa, did you consult me on that beforehand? I mean, I could yeah. say that, and then they could fire me.
0: Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's people true. are so
1: desperate to find a way to twist this to make this a big First Amendment issue. It's not. This is a a this is a, uh, an employment issue. So, I think it's pretty straightforward, but Dan, thank you so much for the kind words, man. I really do appreciate it. Shields high to you uh, well, by the he, he mentioned Pelosi by the way, and I wanted to get to uh, that before we switch to a very very serious topic, which is what happened to this police officer and I, I just and one of my missions here is to tell you all stories that you won't hear elsewhere or certainly won't hear in the same way elsewhere, and this falls in that category uh, but first, let's just have some fun with with where Pelosi is on things. Play clip five, please Leader Pelosi. Yep. Yeah
5: more than half of the senators running for re-election this year are over 65 years old. If they win, their term of service will be six years. Their constituents are about 20 years younger. Isn't it time for some members to return to private service and to encourage younger folks to run for office so they have to for me, I don't think age has that much to do with it. I think oh, it's about, not. and especially as a woman, I, I, you know, I, say, I want women to know that whether they're going uh, from college to Congress, well, they can't really do that, but 25 years old to Congress, uh, that whatever you're bringing, it's new and fresh and different because you're a woman.
1: Talking to like the ultimate swamp creature there with Nancy Pelosi. Uh, you know, she, she doesn't want to give up her power, her prerogatives, uh, no interest in that at all. And she doesn't want any of the other, uh, big name, long-term congressmen, congressmen of the Democrat party step aside either. I mean, they think that this is, this is where I get into my whole term limits discussion and where I'm just, I just get so angry. You know, it, it shouldn't be that you're a legislature for 30 or 40 years. I, I just really, don't, I don't believe in that. Um, I think that it would be better off to have people, who come and serve and do their time in the legislature and don't view it as a means to be famous or a means to become rich even, uh, I really would like to see that change. And I think I think term limits would be a great idea. But then we always run a buck. We won't get term limits because the people that would have to vote for it, I know, I know, but it's nice to dream, isn't it, team? It's nice to have those moments where we can wish for something a little better from our elected officials. I'm going to tell you about the story in uh, Texas with this... Highway Patrolman, very, very important story, and it's a, it's a much bigger problem even than this one incident. Uh, stay with me for that, uh, but first I want to talk to you about our sponsor. Team, our sponsor this half hour is your one-stop shop for polo, shirts, hoodies, jackets, fleece, headgear, athletic, youth, infant, women's, all the apparel needs you have. If you're into patriotism, supporting veterans, and really fresh designs that are going to be the envy of all of your friends, Go to 9lineapparel.com. Nine, Nine Line is a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand. It tries to bridge the gap between civilians and service members, whether military, law enforcement, or first responders, and encourage a conversation between those who serve and those who support them. Plus, they've got fantastic gear. Go check it out for yourself. They've got pro-Second Amendment, pro-patriotism, pro-America designs aplenty. Go to 9 Line use the coupon code BUCK20 to save 20% off. This is a great deal. 9 Line coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off. Body cameras. Some people talk about them like they are controversial. I I see them as uh, an unmitigated good thing when we're talking about police officers and police-citizen relations. I I keep coming across these cases of, I mean, when I say body cam, by the way, dash cam, body cam, just uh, video footage of law enforcement activity. That is on the on the vehicle and on the actual officer. It's a good thing, protects the citizen, protects the cop, and you keep seeing these cases though, of people who lie about cops. You know, we've played recently. We had the uh, woman in, oh gosh, where was it now? Uh, I can't even remember. It was a, New Jersey. Thank you, John. In New Jersey who, you know, referred to the cop as a skinhead, and, you know, it's, it was threatening the officers, and there's all these different cases that come up, but people say, oh, well, I was racially profiled, that's why I was pulled over. Well, it turns out, actually, no, you were speeding, and the officer pulled you over, didn't even know what, what skin color you had in, until they had pulled the vehicle over. So it, and the officer was completely respectful during the encounter. Anyway, there, there are lots of these cases, lots and lots of them. But generally, they're not as serious as this one. And I have to just note that this would, if the situation were different, be a national news story. But because it doesn't fall into the narrative that the mainstream media prefers, you won't hear about it, except here on this show. Uh, You had, just last week, a woman pulled over in Texas named Sharita Dixon-Cole. 37, just about my age. Uh, She was arrested for a DWI and charged. And just, we we have, there's over an hour of, this just happened on May 20th. This is last week, folks. It's a very new case. And there's about an hour and, and change of video of the event. So from the initial stop all the way through to the arrest and processing, it is all on video. All of it. I don't think that this woman knew that. I'll get to that in a moment. But here's how some of the exchange went. It's a pretty boring DUI, DWI stop, but pl- play the audio. Where are you coming from tonight, ma'am?
4: Downtown
2: Dallas. Okay, where are we doing in downtown Dallas?
4: Out with my friends.
2: How much alcohol have you consumed this evening? One, two, Just One. What was it? Okay. Uh, what time did this drink what time did you have this drink? 11.
1: Do you not know where your driver's license is?
0: It wasn't here, I gotta find it.
1: Okay, so she sounds not not wasted, but sounds a little tipsy, right? She slurred her S there. I mean it's and she later on was just below, just below um, the level needed to, to pass the, the breathalyzer, but it had been two hours had passed, so she was actually considered drunk at the time of the incident because she did have alcohol in her system. Anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. But this officer, it's about as routine a DWI stop as you can imagine. As I said, all on video. But here's what ended up happening. This is from the office of Lee Merritt Esquire, and a, he held a joint press conference. And this is what the press conference said on May 21st. This office has been retained to represent Ms. Sherita Dixon-Cole concerning certain civil rights violations arising from sexual assault allegations she has levied against Officer Daniel Hubbard of the Texas Department of Public Safety. Ms. Cole was pulled over on suspicion of DWI. She alleges that while Officer Hubbard administered a field sobriety test, he suggested... Uh, She uh, suggested that she could go home in exchange for sexual favors. Uh, According to her statement, when she declined, she was taken to Hubbard's cruiser and forcefully groped, fondled and and penetrated sexually during a prolonged arrest that including assaults outside and inside of the police vehicle. And then he continued to make sexual advances and suggested he would take her to a remote location where he could where she could provide sex in exchange for her release. Uh, Etc. Cetera, et cetera. It goes on in, in some greater detail here. So this is an allegation against a uh, Texas police officer of uh, what would constitute kidnapping and rape. So this law enforcement officer, if if those things were true, is probably facing 20, 20 to 25 years in prison, maybe life. I mean, his life is over either way, right? I mean, his, his career is over. He's spending decades in prison because uh, the statutes for law enforcement officers that sexually abuse people in, in custody, I don't know what it is specifically in Texas. I know in New York, you, you, you go away for a long time, as you should if you're guilty of it. But see, here's the problem. And remember, this was, they held a press conference about this one. Uh, Sean King, the Black Lives Matter activist, tweeted this out. This got a lot of traction in national media. People were really talking about this case last week. It was just beginning to become one of these national causes, right? Police brutality, police violence, sexual violence, African-American woman at the center of this, white male police officer. Oh, but then the video came out. There aren't any gaps in the video. There are any questionable moments in the video. The video is comprehensive. And it is conclusive. And what the video shows is a completely professional and, by the book, DWI stop and arrest. In, in every way. I mean, textbook. Like, they could use the, the way the officer spoke to the woman, the way he went through procedure, everything about it, completely by the book and now the police have come out with a statement here's what they say at, at, on May 20th 2018 at approximately 1:32 a.m. Texas Highway Patrol officer observed the vehicle etc cetera, etc cetera. uh she was charged with uh, DWI following the arrest spurious and false accusations related to this traffic stop were made against the Texas trooper Upon learning of those allegations, the Texas Department of Public Safety immediately took action to review the video. The video shows absolutely no evidence to support the egregious and unsubstantiated accusations against the trooper. The Department of Health is appalled that anyone would make such a despicable, slanderous, and false accusation against a peace officer who willingly risks his life every day to protect and serve the public. Um, they've reviewed this, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, and they've decided to... I I, I I agree with this, by the way release the tape it's public, it's you know it's public record release that tape so stop with law enforcement and they did and what you have here is a woman who is not just a liar but who tried to ruin a man's life i and i mean absolutely and completely destroy his life even if he wasn't found guilty in a court just the accusation without exonerating proof would have, would have effectively destroyed and ended this public servant, this law enforcement officer's uh, day-to-day existence. It'd be all over for him, folks. I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't look up his background. I'm, I'm going to assume he's got a wife, kids, family. And this woman almost took all that away from him over a DWI stop. Now, a few things here. One... People that make false accusations uh, about serious crimes should be held accountable. They should be held accountable. It should not just be swept under the rug because a bearing false witness in this way could send somebody to prison for the rest of his or her life. You can't let that slide. You can't let that go. This has to be prosecuted. It is a crime to knowingly accuse somebody else of a crime against you. Especially one where there's no question. This is, there's not a gray area here. It's not like you know, this was a who-started-it fight or something. She just lied. Just lied about this. And I have to wonder, what would make a woman in her position do that? What is going on right now in our culture that when somebody is pulled over by a law enforcement officer, the response is not, what have I done? Have I broken the law? How can I comply and be respectful with this officer, assuming the officer's engaging in a professional manner? But instead, what can I do to even the score or, or get back at this guy? Where can, you know, she had to have this thought process, folks. Where could she take this right away where... It was essentially the, the the nuclear option for her, you know, to, to ruin this officer's life, to ruin his career uh, just because. By the way, that, that lawyer, the office of, of Lee Merritt, that lawyer that re- released that uh, statement initially um, has come out and said that, quote, the body camera footage directly conflicts with the accounts reported to my office. And so he's... Uh, You know, he says, we're thankful to members of this community for demanding transparency and justice. However, it seems your righteous vigilance was abused. Yeah, that's correct. Lee Merritt Esquire was abused. Maybe it's a bad idea to try officers in the court of public opinion before any facts are really in. Maybe we shouldn't rush to make every law, every accusation against law enforcement. If it fits a certain narrative, particularly one of racial bias a national news story, without waiting for any of the facts. Any of the facts at all in this case. I'm just glad that this officer is you know, sleeping soundly tonight, as he should. But this is a real plague, my friends. False accusations against officers are much more widespread than a lot of people realize. And thank heavens, there are body cameras increasingly uh, present with these departments to make sure that these allegations can be rooted out. And officers don't have their careers and their lives ruined over lies, over lies.
0: He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops.
2: So the dialogue was good until recently, and I, I think I understand why that happened. Why well, was that? And I, I won't say that. Someday I'll I'll give it to you. You can write about it in a book. <laughs> but I, I really believe we have a, uh, a great opportunity. We'll see whether or not that opportunity is seized by North Korea. If it is, great for them and great for the world. If it isn't, it'll be just fine. Thank you all very much. Thank you. All-
1: All right, so President's made it quite clear, as we've been discussing, the summit for now is off. Uh, But what does this really mean, and what can we expect going forward? We've got Michael Oslin on the line. He is a fellow at the Hoover Institution and author of The End of the Asian Century, which I have read, by the way. I can commend it to all of you, and also coming out in paperback this summer. Michael, great to have you back.
4: Thanks, Buck. Great to be with you.
1: All right, what do you make of where we are right now in these much anticipated and now at least seemingly much delayed talks between Trump and Kim Jong un?
4: Well, you know, this was also unprecedented that I, I think you could have been surprised either way. You would have been surprised if it had actually gone forward given the, the decades of mistrust and enmity between North Korea and America. And uh, you would have been surprised that after all the hype and the buildup that it would have been canceled. Uh, Honestly, I actually thought the North Koreans would probably be the ones to pull the plug. Uh, But, you know, you could look at it and say that if if they were starting to get cold feet, if they were feeling that uh, they weren't getting from the United States beforehand what they wanted, then they were just going to ramp up the rhetoric and the insults and the outrageous demands and essentially force the Americans to cancel it. And, you know, that's what happened. What would it take for there
1: to be an actual chance of success here?
4: Well, if you mean success by uh, actual denuclearization, right it depends what what you're talking about, who wants what, right? It, what the Americans want and what the North Koreans want is very, very different. And that's, of course, the nub of the problem. That's why we're talking about this after a quarter century, why we haven't solved it. Uh, if you're talking about what the Americans want, it's essentially for Kim Jong-un to accept that uh, the, the fact that he's got these nuclear weapons doesn't help him uh that the americans are very serious about denying him the ability to keep them and so they better cut a deal that preserves the regime and preserves kim jong un today in exchange for these weapons and and so from the american perspective it would be anything that forces the north koreans to say we don't know what the future is going to hold, so we better make a deal today. Uh, for the North Koreans, of course, it's to get the Americans to say, well, the North Koreans have these weapons, and there's nothing we can do about it anymore. They, they've got them, they're going to keep them. And so we've got to figure out a way to protect ourselves, and maybe that means getting out of Korea, withdrawing some of our troops in order to have a quote unquote peace treaty, and maybe the North Koreans will agree and at some point in time to, to cap these weapons or something like that. So what you can see is that the two sides were as far away uh, yesterday uh, from getting an agreement as they were 25 years ago. Nothing changed except our perception that Kim Jong Un was serious about sitting down at the table. And as it turns out, we were really a long way from getting to that table.
1: Speaking to Michael Oslin, author of End of the Asian Century, which uh, comes out in paperback. He's a fellow at the Hoover Institution. It comes out in paperback this summer. Um, Michael, the way forward now for the trump administration if they want to uh, resurrect the prospect of these talks what could they do what should they
4: do yeah that that's a great question right part of it I, you know the letter that president trump wrote to to kim jong-un that was released left open um, the possibility of having this summit somewhere down the road and obviously uh the prerequisite of that is that the north koreans stop making demands uh stop these outrageous insults you know you can't really go into a meeting like this after they've insulted your vice president and called him a dummy and the like you know that would have shown trump is just eager for any type of meeting and and that would have put him on the back foot so you know in, in a way whether the north korean's wanted this or not to go through trump was right to pull the plug at this point and and in essence if you want to go forward, it gives you a breathing time to see how the North Koreans are going to act. So there's there's basically three things that can happen. Number one, the North Koreans decide, you know, we push too far. Trump's not like the other presidents, so we better cool it and, and try to get him back to the table. Number two, they ratchet up the rhetoric and maybe even try some sort of aggressive act against South Korea or, or Japan or who knows, more missile launches, for example, That that's an easy one to do, uh, in order to basically try to blackmail the Americans to come back. Say, see, it's worse if you don't talk to us. We're going to act worse. And that's something they've done many times in the past. Number three is that the two sides decide quietly behind the scenes to continue high-level talks. You know, Mike Pompeo or, or a very senior member of the, the administration to try to figure out if they can get to a starting point. And the starting point would be a mutually agreeable definition of denuclearization, at least the the rudiments, the the outlines of a timetable and an agreement on when US aid would be given and if you can get that behind the scenes then you can come back and say we've we've you know smoothed out the bumps and and figured out these problems now we can go forward with a meeting
1: is there any situation in which you could see Kim Jong Un shocking the world and and agreeing to denuclearization as I think all Americans at least understand it which is he allows inspections no more nuclear weapons no more missile program it just it seems, even as I'm saying it to you, like, just not going to happen. And this has been my concern all along, although I, th- I think it was, it's worth trying. I think it's worth continuing to try. But I can't see that future.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, look, if, if it were going to happen, it would have happened, right? He doesn't need an inducement, really, to give up the weapons. And if he really wants to give up the weapons, then he'll, he'll take a deal that's offered him. Uh, so we don't see real indications of change in the nature of the regime. And if that's the case... You know, this is not East Germany in 1989, where the whole regime was beginning to liberalize. And if that's the case, that there's no change, then it's highly unlikely to see Kim deciding to give up these weapons on his own accord. The only way he's going to do it, obviously short of a, of a change of heart, is if he feels threatened enough, if he feels that his future as leader of this nation uh, is in doubt enough that he has to cut a deal. Now, that's the type of message that Secretary of State Pompeo... Was giving, Mike Pence was giving, John Bolton was giving, and there's going to be a lot of debate as to whether they overdid it, whether they stepped over the line uh, by sort of embarrassing, in a sense, you can put it this way embarrassing the North Koreans by saying, look, if you don't do this, remember what happened in Libya, remember what happened to Muammar Gaddafi. You know, they know what happened, and I don't think that they need to be reminded all the time of it, meaning I don't think the administration had to necessarily give that message out in public repeatedly. That backs the North Koreans into a corner. But, you know, short of of any sense on the North Koreans that these guys are serious, serious about taking this regime down in fire and fury, or whatever it's going to be, uh, then they've probably figured they can just play them the way they played Obama and Bush and Clinton, which is to drag out negotiations for years. Trump may have upset that calculus, again, by saying he's not going to go along with that script, he's not desperate for a meeting at any price, and so he's canceled the summit for now. We'll we'll have to see. Do you think
1: that uh, China, if we could get insight which of course we won't be able to but if we could get insight into what was said in those two meetings between kim jong-un and xi jinping of china were they on the whole constructive from the u.s position or do you think that they were basically scuttling this from behind the scenes
4: you know that's a great question because you have the uh, foreign minister come uh to the u.s and 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 talk uh, very openly about uh, or make statements openly about uh... they really want this to go forward and the two sides can come together and you know we have to keep this moving forward um, given the fact that the chinese have been extremely unhelpful overall in the past twenty five years with north korea i think you have to take such statements with at least a grain of salt now they may have wanted these talks to go forward because they thought trump was gonna cave maybe they thought that with the right type of pressure from north korea and some support from beijing uh... that trump would agree to some sort of grand bargain and pull the troops out or something like that um... but i i think your questions the right one uh... can we believe what they say Um they certainly don't want to see the u.s take a harder line they don't want to see the u.s. more engaged in the region and this might in fact be the result of that uh, but do they want to scuttle the, the talks outright? You know, it, it's an open question. At best, I think we can say they certainly didn't want anything that was going to make the U.S. stronger in Asia.
1: Michael Oslin, everyone. He is the author of The End of the Asian Century, fellow at the Hoover Institution. Michael, really appreciate you joining, and uh, good luck with the paperback release. Thanks, Buck. Anytime. Yeah, see, like I was saying, folks, it's it's not really... It, it it's not a loss, it's not a win at this point with North Korea. It just it just didn't happen, you know. It's like it's like applying for a job you didn't get. I mean, it's it's largely at this point I think a, a no harm, no foul situation. But to that question that I posed to Michael on China, I just I, I think that they're working against our interests in ways that if we were fully aware of it, and I don't know where the I don't know what the administration, our administration, really thinks about this question, but. I get the sense that if we were aware of what China is doing behind the scenes, they are much more favorable toward the status quo in North Korea than certainly they will outwardly say, but then I think a lot of people are even willing to believe. You know, the Chinese government is not a moral entity. I, I don't know how else to put it, the Chinese Communist Party. It's not moral. Uh, they do not care at all about the misery in North Korea. They, they do not care about, you know, what Kim Jong-un is doing anybody Uh, they just look at this purely as a power play for them in asia and and vis-a-vis the united states on the world stage so i just don't see how you know they're going to talk to us about how they're going to be so helpful and they they want things to get better there but at the end of the day if the chinese really wanted to create change in north korea they could do it in fact China really just wanted to topple the regime in North Korea and install. Well, they already kind of do have a puppet regime there, but if they wanted to install something that was not quite as belligerent and crazy as what the current Kim dynasty is, I think they could do it. So, I just have a feeling that you know those two meetings with China it did not help us one bit. All right, I, I got to move to a, a different topic here. We're gonna we're gonna switch it up in just a moment. So um, stay with me, team. I'm going to talk to you about other things. I've got some news for you from the world of cuisine. Can't say it's strictly good news. But I've got to tell you, team, I feel like I have an obligation to bring you the truth about what we are putting in our bellies, come what may. First of all, you have this report out of the United Kingdom that says, quote, no amount of alcohol, sausage, or bacon is safe. This is according to the World Cancer Research Fund, which has to update its guidelines every decade and they have a 10 point plan to cut your cancer risk they say by up to 40 percent and that includes you know what's coming folks cutting out bacon ham burgers hot dogs and i just want to say to this organization and to the authorities in the uk who are pushing this what good is waking up every day if you can't have a little bacon a hot dog or a hamburger i mean let's be real here folks I'm sure steak is on there, too. Ooh, red meat, so bad for you. Ah, the dietary wisdom of these big organizations is just so full of holes. It gets very tiresome after a while. It really does. And I'm, I'm telling you, you know, we're going to keep digging into this on the show. We're going to keep looking at what the truth is of a, a ketosis diet and all this other stuff. Ketogenic diet, rather. Ketosis is a different thing and the and paleo diet. I'd love to actually have a paleo expert on at some point to talk about this. But th- this notion that your body couldn't process even small amounts of these different meats and alcohol, it, it just strikes me as, well, first of all, you know that when you, whenever you see one of these people that's like, she's 140 years old. She's the oldest person on the planet. Uh, and they ask, you know, our great, great, great Aunt Ethel, you know, Ethel, wh- how, what do you think the secret is to living so long? I find that a lot of the time in those news stories, what you end up hearing is, well, I start every day with uh, a big bagel or toast with bacon, and uh, sometimes I smoke some stogies, you know, some cigarettes. That's it. Not, not like healthy living. I don't ever hear like, oh, she lived to 120 and all she drank was Soy milk. Ugh. You know? You never hear that. It's always like, yeah, I live life pretty hard. You know the truth is, folks. Our genetics play a much larger role in all of this than any of us are told or even want to believe. That's the real, that's the real, legit, honest what's what of what's going on here is that These things affect people in different ways. But I just can't imagine cutting all sausage, all bacon, all ground meat out of my life entirely. Alcohol? I'm not going to lie. I could probably go I could probably go without any booze. If, if I, I could cut alcohol out of my life and not really. I'm, I drink maybe once a week. Once or twice a week. That's why I make it count with G4 tequila. Uh, but I, I really don't. I drink very infrequently. I don't find it to be. It's just not my thing. I don't know. It's not my thing. Speaking of not my thing. Also in the food realm. I'm not making this up. All right, and I'm not trying to gross you out, guys. But there is a new health craze that is, uh, I can't say it's like sweeping across America or like that, but it, it's definitely a thing that has been happening. I just got to tell you that cockroach milk is now a new thing. Cockroach milk is comprised of the nutrient-rich milk crystals found inside the Pacific Beetle Cockroach, according to Mary Claire magazine. And people believe that it might be very, very healthful for humans. It is quite high in calories, four times as much protein as cow's milk, and contains essential amino acids that promote cell growth, lipids that keep our bodies healthy, and sugars that fuel energy. Can I just say, drinking cockroach milk, and I'm a milk drinker as you know, Drinking cockroach milk is the start of either a sci-fi or horror movie, full stop. If you drink cockroach milk and all of a sudden you start growing six uh, legs out of your now hardening thorax abdomen that is from an insect, you know what I'm talking about. That's on you. Because you're not supposed to drink milk from a cockroach. I'm just going to say it. There's just no way that that's a good idea for anybody. I don't care. I don't care how, how healthy it is supposed to be for you. But yeah, cockroach milk. As if it wasn't bad enough that soy milk is out there, they've doubled down. They've made it even worse. They're destroying the concept of milk entirely. You know, It has to come from an animal that is a mammal. That's... Those are the rules, okay? It cannot come from a fruit, it cannot come from a nut, and it cannot come from a cockroach. Buck Sexton.
0: Permission. Decoding the news. And disseminating information.
1: With actionable
0: intelligence. Russia. One small thing. Make. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great you're
2: a great America
0: again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
1: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
2: You ready? What's your name? Delaney! Make some noise for the daddy right there. This song you ready? Sing
4: like the whole city going against
5: me. Every time I'm in the street, I hear got, got, got,
2: got, got. Let him Wait for no. oh.
1: So that was at an Alabama uh, concert for the the uh, hip-hop artist Kendrick Lamar. I can't say I'm particularly familiar with uh, Mr. Lamar's work, but I'm sure I know his name I know who he is and yeah uh, what happened there and producer Mike, make sure I don't get this wrong because I've just seen the this clip and'm I'm, I'm not familiar with the full. You know, the, maybe the full context of everything that happened here. So Lamar brings this woman, and sorry if the audio sounded a little choppy there, but instead of bleeping, we cut out some of the profanity because the song has some profanity in it. And he, he brings a woman on stage. Uh, she's white. And invites her to rap his lyrics, right? The lyrics to his song. This is a fan, Okay. This a this bit like if I said to one of you you know like shields high and like I expect you to say shields high right like you, you this is supposed to be kind of within the within the family of your supporters and the family of of fandom and what ended up happening as you might have gathered there was that she uh she said because it is one of the lyrics in the song the N-word. Now, this I I'm different than other folks on this issue, as you know. I I uh I bend the knee to this convention, right? I I I say in reference to that word, I will say the N word too. There also are limitations on radio for me, of course, literally regulations because uh, this is broadcast on you know 120 terrestrial stations across the country. Uh, but I got to tell you, I think that banning words for people to say in any context is intellectually inconsistent. I, I think it's inherently problematic, um, and I, I think you see this here. So he wanted her to self-censor. She was supposed to rap. He invites her to say, you know, his rap lyric, and she says the rap lyric. But then, because she's white, she's actually not allowed to say his lyrics. That's what happened. Mike, am I getting all this right or am I missing any important details?
3: No, you're right. Um in, in the actual written lyrics, the, the N-word is written four times and there's also an F bomb in there in, in the actual written lyrics. So you're right.
1: Okay. So, so this is exact. so he invites her on stage, says, you know, would, would you like to uh would you like to be a part of, of this and and you know, it's supposed to be fun for her. She's at a concert, she's trying to have a good time. And I gotta I gotta imagine, you know, to, to be called out, Kendrick Lamar is probably if not her hero, I mean, somebody that she admires, looks up to. She's paid money to be at this concert. And there is no way you can tell me that she was in any way trying to be disrespectful, derogatory, even provocative. Like, she just thinks, okay, well, I know the lyrics to the song. I'm supposed to say the lyrics to the song. And then he calls her out, you know? You know, the the music cuts off and she says you know you've got to bleep this word and then she clearly feels a little embarrassed and the concert goers are booing her and telling her not to be on the stage anymore and and now she's you know now she's like getting some heat for this now to Lamar's credit he allowed her to perform the song again this time without this slur so he wasn't he, he didn't come down on her super hard I don't want to overstate this it's not like he turned on her and you know said you know bleep you and made a big thing of it but it was uh you know it was one of these things where clearly she was a little embarrassed and clearly there was a uh, a a problem here and I I just do not believe that there are words that because of your skin color you are not allowed to say and and I Keep in mind, I wouldn't say it, right? Because I understand the way that we are now all, the social conventions, the expectations that are in place, I'm also like, okay, you know, I'm not going to be the guy. It's not worth running up the hill and getting mowed down by the machine gun, so to speak, on this, right? It doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't serve any purpose. But what I'm talking about is the usage of the word in specific context, right? So if, if I, let's say, was in a, uh, in a classroom setting and we were reading... Um, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, for example. Or if we were uh, reading uh, Richard Wright, by the way, a celebrated African-American author, uh, but also a former communist, which is very interesting discussion for another time. He's profiled as one of the writers, I believe seven writers, in The God That Failed, which is one of the most important ideological takedowns of communism, Marxism, redistribution, and statism you could ever read. It's really profound, really important, I think it's like, you can get it online for free. It's one of these books where you, I don't think you can even get it these days in print, but you can download it digitally for free. The God That Failed, it's very, very uh, important work. Anyway, but if you, some of Richard Wright's books, the N-word appears. If you were in a class and you were told, you know, we're all reading from this book, you know, we're all reading from this. Are you supposed to, if you're a white student, say the N-word, but if you're a black student, you can read the full word as written? What if you're a Hispanic student? By the way? Is it only, you know, are, are we really now saying that there are words that only some people by, as determined by skin color, are allowed to say in any context? Okay, I could take this even a step further. And, and I know that this is, look, it's a sensitive issue for people. I understand all this. What about in a court situation? If, if someone is going to read, you know, let's say there's a fight and someone says that the one person claims the other used a racial slur. In fact, that came up. I can talk about that in just a moment. But in, in a court situation, when the you know, if a white lawyer is reading the accusation, if a white prosecutor is reading the accusation, does he have to say he called her the or he called him the uh, the n word, but a black prosecutor would just be allowed to say it in open court? You know, I, I really I really mean this. Like I, I I'm curious to know what we're supposed to because keep in mind, if you make a mistake on this, you're Grounds of forgiveness are uh, are very slim, right? You're you're the chance of of you being given either not just not being given a pass, but being given a second chance. You better hope that, you know, you're you're lucky that day. And I I think that we're inherently in a problematic zone of thought when we can't. You and I sitting here. Maybe you have an answer to this. And by all means, send me on Facebook or call in and tell me but when we can't even determine what the expectations are for the usage of, or, or for what is acceptable usage of the N-word. You know, I feel badly for that woman. I think she was she clearly, when she realized what happened, was really embarrassed. I don't think she said it to be disrespectful. She was invited by the rapper to say it. And I'm sure she's probably listened to his songs hundreds of times, and it's just seared into her brain that, what the lyrics are and everything else. And it's just, it's just another example. of. By the way, there, there's a story um uh, out of and i'm not going to play this audio for you because it's so heinous uh, but this is this is when you find out are you really in favor of free speech or, or not meaning free speech in the government intervention sense i don't mean free speech as a concept uh because this is about government action a guy on the long island railroad in new york um who was on a we're not playing the audio for you it's out there if you want to see the audio uh Edward Ruggiero, he was having he had a dispute on the on the Long Island Railroad with a uh, an African-American woman. I think it might have actually been two women, you can't really tell from the video. And he said the stuff that you can never you know that you can never say. That no human being should ever say really vile racist stuff. Uh, the kind of things that would be and should be reputation destroying for someone to say to another person. Uh, and, I, and I won't repeat them on air, but they were on video. That all said, he is being charged with third degree menacing as a hate crime and second degree aggravated harassment, punishable by up to a year in jail. He did not physically uh, hurt either of the women he argued with, he did not threaten to physically hurt the women. He just had a dispute with them. And I'm sorry but no matter how much somebody says mean nasty things that cannot and should not be a crime there has to be more than just it's really mean there has to be more than it's just really racist because once you start to walk down that path okay so if i say abortion is murder is, is that am i now committing a crime i mean we we would, don't even get me started on this one right calling someone an illegal immigrant that's mean is that a crime w- what's the boundary here if it's not about the about actual force or the imminent threat of force, if it's just going to be saying something really nasty. Look, this case was just this week. I mean, this is in the headlines. Queens DA in New York City charged this guy up to a year in prison. He is being threatened by a state or, you know, state authority with imprisonment for saying nasty racist things. I'm sorry, but hate speech is, in fact, protected under the First Amendment. We've been through this. The Nazis marching in Skokie, Illinois. We, we've been through this. But right now, in our current moment, there's an effort to try and use the law to police speech, even when it's the worst. And this guy said the worst stuff, by the way. The worst, no question. I mean, he's, this guy's scummy. But he shouldn't face prison for saying bad things. And I don't believe that some people should be allowed to say words and other people are literally never allowed to say it because it's going to create inconsistencies that lead to further problems and a lot of aggravation on all sides. We'll be right back. Morgan Freeman is the latest person to get caught up in the Me Too movement. Uh, This is courtesy of CNN, a young production assistant thought she had landed the job of her dreams when in the summer of 2015, she started work on Going in Style, a bank heist comedy starring Morgan Freeman and some others. The job quickly devolved into several months of harassment, she told CNN. She alleges that Freeman subjected her to unwanted touching and comments about her figure and clothing on a near daily basis. Freeman would rest his hand on her lower back or rub her lower back, in one incident he kept trying to lift up her skirt and asking and asked if she was wearing underwear. Okay. Pretty amazing um that this kind of stuff was kept quiet as long as it was. Once again, I it, it, I got to tell you. Eight women came out here, eight different women accusing Freeman of, of stuff that this is not like, oh, maybe there was a, a misunderstanding or, you know, maybe he thought that There was this was all in good fun. I mean, this is this is harassment. This is abusive stuff. Yeah. Eight, eight women have come forward. Freeman has uh, since apologized. I'm not sure of the specifics of his apology, Um, but he definitely uh, he definitely got caught up in this one. I got to say, I wouldn't have guessed, you know, but you, you have no idea with with these actors, you know, you don't know who's. Who's being a good? Who's a good guy, and who's actually a creep? Until you find out. Speaking of creeps, though, this big, uh, big headline on on Drudge and other places too. Harvey Weinstein. I mean, this is the remember the Morgan Freeman stuff is bad, but I don't think anybody's alleging, unless I'm missing something, any kind of criminal conduct. So while that falls under the very broad umbrella of Me Too, when you look at what's going on with uh, Harvey Weinstein. That is as serious as it gets. And it looks like he may finally face the music. Looks like Harvey Weinstein is expected to uh, surrender as, er- as early as tomorrow in New York City to face sex assault charges in connection with an attack on a student actress, according to the Daily News. He is expected to be charged with preying on Lucia Evans um, for forcible, well, a forcible sexual act in 2004. So there you have it. Uh, Looks like he. He could, in fact, finally go to prison. We'll see. Uh, I don't know if he's he hasn't even been arrested yet, so we can't even say uh, whether or not he has been. Uh, whether or not he has been is likely to be found guilty. Um, more than fifty women, by the way, over fifty, have accused Weinstein of sexual harassment. I mean, this is that's an astonishing list. I mean, it's reminiscent, in a sense, of Bill Cosby, who just went uh, just went down and and is facing really really long stretch in prison. Uh, so the you know the, this Me Too movement, it's not just it's not just people that are being held to account in the public square. It's not just that now their their reputations are having to come to grips with the, with the reality of their actions, but, but there's real criminal ramifications for some of the people that have been uh, outed as, as part of this whole uh, situation that is now unfolding, which I got to say, you know, these are people who are really protected, had been really protected Weinstein's another example. Oh, Schneiderman, by the way, I don't think he's facing any criminal stuff. But Schneiderman was the Attorney General of New York, uh, New York State, and he, you know he's a guy who's holding himself up as a Me Too hero. A lot of this stuff coming. I know people are going to say it's not a partisan issue, and you know they're they're going to point at conservatives who've been involved. In, you know when you when you look at the conservatives in media, I mean, I know what I know what the left would say here, but when you look at the really uh, really egregious cases that have been recently in the last twelve months or so that that have come to light here. Uh, there's some very prominent and very well, very connected uh, leftists in this in this whole. I mean, Weinstein is the best example. And I got to think that you know, if Harvey Weinstein isn't palling around with the Clintons and engaged in all kinds of fundraising and doing things that he would have gotten jammed up sooner i i really think so uh, this is a, a pretty incredible turn of events here where you where you have very rich very powerful men pre- it, it's really predominantly in in media and politics that are finally having to uh own up or at least finally being held to account for what they've done in the past so yeah weinstein we might be talking about it tomorrow if we do uh Let's get on one of our favorite legal analysts. We'll reach out to, uh, I will reach out to Emily Campagna, or maybe the Dersh will come talk to us about it. But that would be that would be quite a trial, my friends, if Weinstein actually ends up facing charges, assuming he doesn't take a deal, which well, who knows. But hasn't been arrested yet. Well, he's going to turn himself in, they say, but that hasn't happened yet. We will have to keep an eye an eye on that one.
0: He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back.
1: So, Dean Buck, here on the show, uh, we have some fantastic sponsors and partners, as you know, and uh, one of them is is Nine Line Apparel. I've been talking to you about the uh, upcoming race where Nine Line has partnered with Angels of America's Fallen and Jeffrey Earnhardt all together here to, to raise money for the Children of America's Fallen service members. We actually have the NASCAR Cup driver on the line with us now, Jeffrey Earnhardt, to talk to us about this partnership with Nine Line Apparel and Jeffrey Earnhardt and NASCAR with it. Uh, so, Jeffrey, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it.
6: Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all having me on.
1: All right. So, first of all, tell us about this race and, and what what's going to be on the car, what it represents to you, and, and how Angels of America's Fallen plays into all this.
6: Well, it uh everything kinda came about with, you know, uh mine and nine line apparels partnership and uh and seeing what we could do together and um you know, they're they're an amazing company. Uh Tyler Merritt, the owner, he uh he he continues to try and give back. He's, uh, he's a he's a a service member or uh was a service member, now retired, but um, you know, the, their whole entire company, Matt Lotta, uh everyone there, they're all they're all veterans and um, you know, they, they continue to try and give back. So uh, this whole deal came about with, you know, partnering with Angel, Angels of America's Fallen and uh, trying to help raise money and raise awareness for, uh, you know, those who paid the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, what better race to do it on than uh, the Coca-Cola 600 on Memorial Day weekend. So uh, it's an awesome opportunity. Really looking forward to our partnership together and, and helping bring awareness to – uh to those people and, and, and continuing to show our, our respects and, and uh, our, our, our thank yous to, to all these men and women who, who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and their families.
1: And, and your, your car, driving in this NASCAR race this weekend, you're going to have the names of fallen service members represented on the car. I and mean, what's the actual representation going to be as part of this partnership with Angels of America's Fallen?
6: Yeah, so we uh, we did a fundraiser deal where you could go and, and purchase a nine line appeal t shirt and submit a name, and that name would appear on our car for this weekend's race. And you would also receive a, a, a t shirt that uh, has Angels right. We, we, we've we've been
1: we partnered with them as well to to get the word out about this. But so that's so those names are going to be on your uh, on your car this weekend. So I mean, how many people, Jeff, watch a NASCAR race like this? By the way, do you have some rough idea? <laughs> uh, shoot! Uh, millions, uh, right? I mean, uh, yeah, it's got to be millions.
6: Millions, yeah. It's uh, it's uh, a ton of people. You know, NASCAR's obviously got a huge following, uh, huge fan support, and, uh, and and you know what better, what place to to show respect than than a sport that's so uh, patriotic and American as NASCAR.
1: Now, uh, Jeff, also, is there going to be a presentation? of uh of funds in partnership with nine line for america's fallen or is there going to be some kind of a ceremony a big check or something and what can folks see
6: yeah we're going to be doing a a presentation of a check for uh angels of americans Fallen for fifteen thousand dollars uh presented their their, uh, foundation on uh, saturday so really excited to present with this check and um, you know, show our uh, our appreciation to to what they're doing and, and what they you know, continue to do with trying to support and take care of uh, the family members and kids of, uh, of those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our uh, our country.
1: Jeffrey Earnhardt, NASCAR Cup driver and uh, partner of uh, Nine Line Apparel and Angels of America's Fallen. Uh, Jeffrey, appreciate you joining us, my friend. Good luck this weekend, and thank you for all the work you're doing on this.
6: Yes sir, I appreciate y'all
1: having me on. Thank you. Well, team, you know, we're going to talk more about uh what's happening, you know, uh, this this coming weekend. Tomorrow, I'm hoping to have on some friends from the uh m- from the armed forces uh, community, uh, former military, and uh, talk to us about what Memorial Day means uh, for them. You know, I I, I think we're going to have a, a show we we cover a lot of ground tomorrow as we always do, but I think some degree of uh, reflection going into Memorial Day weekend is is a good thing. So that's that's our plan. Uh, but w- that's one of the things I really like about some of the sponsors that we work with is that they have such a a focus. And look, they're they're partners with this show. They've got you know we we really believe in their mission overall. But the mission goes beyond just a great product and a great company. And when you can combine support for veterans uh, with a great veteran-owned company and and, and support for the families of, of the fallen with a veteran-owned company. I mean, I think that there's just a lot of, it's just win-win all around. So um, we're, we're going to go into a, a roll call here in just a, a few minutes. So uh, that is that is coming up, but I wanted to share with you that we can, you know, I, I'm i going to watch this NASCAR race. I am, to be honest with you, I'm not somebody who watches a lot of NASCAR. I don't know if I've ever actually watched a full NASCAR race all the way through, um, but I'm going to check it out this weekend in support of our, our friend Jeffrey Earnhardt, Angels of America's Fallen, and, uh, of course, our uh, brothers and sisters over at Nine Line Apparel. Roll call coming up.
0: Ain't no party like a team buck party, because a team buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11.
1: It's time for Roll Call. Woo, funky beats. Please do not forget that uh, coming soon to a theater near you, uh, we will in fact have the Freedom Hut with Buck Sexton. First week of June, going to be a fun show. A uh, little, little more of a laid-back vibe, more characters, more voices, more just random thoughts and stories, a little less traditional radio feel than this show. And uh, I'm really hoping all of you, especially those of you who are currently not even podcast listeners at all, I'm, I'm asking you as a, as a favor to the squad, as a favor to Team Buck, please uh, just when, when, I, when I give you the go word, uh, go on iTunes, uh, subscribe to that podcast and, and give it a shot it's going to be quick and easy 30 to 40 minutes roughly of content once a week uh, but i really want everyone listening to this show to be a part of that freedom hut experience so i'm going to keep talking about it until we get there but um, thank you for letting me do my thing okay here we go first up patrick for a roll call facebook.com slash if you want to be included Buck, you asked last week what generation we are associated with. To answer, unless you already Googled it, we are Xennials. It's a microsection of kids born from 79 to 83. We are a crossover that grew up with the first Apple computers and were the first to experience dial-up internet, yet still retain the social skills of our parents to not be unkind to others. We were the first to use the internet yet last to use it as a bullying tool. P.S. You never gave me your review of Springsteen's Nebraska. Did you listen to it? Uh, Patrick, I have not listened to it yet, but I will give it a shot. And uh, yes, I've, I've been told a little bit about this Zenial phenomenon, and uh, I will certainly look into it some more. So, with that now established... Let's get to uh, Amy, who writes. Don't lose the valley girl voice. It's perfect for reading Comey memos and book excerpts. Uh, We must have this. Read the one where Comey talks about the size of Trump's hands. Also, hey, Buck, great show. I've got a question. What kills more Americans each year? School shooters or illegal immigrants? Shouldn't we ban illegal immigrants using their logic? I mean, if it would prevent one senseless death of a child, isn't it worth it? Just curious, because I suspect liberal hypocrisy. Um, Amy, you raise an interesting point, and it's, I think, related to what I was saying, which is that I don't get into the debate or the discussion over who or what the percentage is of illegal immigrants that are committing violent crimes. The point is that the percentage should be zero because they shouldn't be in the country in the first place. We should not have a problem of massive illegal immigration. So another way of saying this is if we have 10 million illegal immigrants in the country and they are responsible for year in and year out, I'm just picking a random number, folks. So this is not based on any, let's just say, a grand total of 50,000 relatively you know, serious crimes, right? Not parking ticket stuff. Uh, and I have no idea. That could be very low. That could be high. I don't know. I'm just picking the number at random. Uh, that's 50,000 crimes that shouldn't be happening in this country. So that's how I look at it. I, I, I have a different perspective on this. Uh, Paul writes, Buck, fantastic show. Only been listening for a few months, but I'm a dedicated podcast listener and I've already recommended your show to some friends. Well, thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate it. That means a lot. And by the way, that's how the show grows and is successful. I, I really, when I ask you, I, I hope you don't, uh, team, I hope you don't view it as a throwaway. And especially in the weeks and months ahead, I'm going to be carrying a very heavy load here on the content side doing I've got a tv project i'm announcing for you we're going to start live streaming the radio show i'm going to have the freedom hut podcast i mean we're really ramping up so you know when you're watching fox news with a friend or if you're just you know having a chat about politics with somebody try to try to throw the buck sexton podcast in the mix you know say hey check out the buck sexton show check out uh the freedom hut and It really does help. Anyway, Paul writes, The best recommendation I've ever received about instincts is this. The hairs on the back of your neck are there for a reason. That's from a buddy on the Secret Squirrel side of Ops. Shields high. Paul from Team Buck, Korea. Uh, Thank you so much, Paul, and and I totally agree. Uh, Do not ignore. You ignore your instincts at your peril. Remember, that doesn't mean you are a slave to your instincts. It doesn't mean that you give your instincts priority in your decision-making process, but it is a data point that should be used for the purposes of decision-making. And, and th- you're getting those feelings for a reason, whether it's about a person, a place, a situation, do not ignore them. Next up, Paul, uh, Buck, regarding the judge ruling that President Trump cannot block people on Twitter, the First Amendment only protects free speech but does not protect having to listen to speech. Just because you can say something doesn't give you the right to have it heard. Otherwise, the government could mandate that we must listen to all government-mandated speech. Can you imagine being forced to have to listen to Nancy Pelosi's speeches? Yes, everybody should have to listen to Nancy Pelosi. Uh, another thing that I didn't get into yesterday on the whole Twitter judge ruling is uh, it's not a government platform. Twitter is a private entity. And so the fact that the president is engaging with a private entity, he doesn't really control anything. The government does not control anything with Twitter. Uh, he's only interacting with Twitter as an individual under their terms of service. Twitter is in control. If, it, if Twitter was a government-owned enterprise, then yeah, there would be a problem with blocking people because there, you know, the, the government can't engage in that kind of speech selection. But you know, the president can watch one channel, he can watch another. That's up to the cable companies. He's 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 interacting with them as an individual. Right. So there you have it. Uh, There you have it. Next up, Brian writes, heard you talking about the ketogenic diet. My daughter's doctor put her on it due to some health issues in a show of support. My wife and I are joining her. Downside for me is that I like beer, which is a no no on this diet. However, I can drink vodka, gin, bourbon, scotch, whiskey and tequila, so I am good. Shields high. Well, Brian, hopefully, uh, hopefully you're drinking some of our G4 tequila if you're going to be trying some tequila. And, um, yeah, let us know how the ketogenic diet goes. I know, I know for some people it works wonders. Really interesting book that I read when I first got diagnosed with celiac disease, gosh, six, seven years ago now, is called Wheat Belly. And I'm not going to say that this is necessarily a, a balanced perspective on it. You've got to read it. It's written by a doctor. Uh, But, man, there's some people who think that genetically modified wheat, also known as dwarf wheat, because it's very short and thick and grows very quickly uh, versus traditional wheat, uh, which is longer and looks... And by the way, if you look at photos of what genetically modified uh, wheat stalks look like now, grain, you know, wheat stalks, uh, versus what they looked like before the genetic modification, it looks like an entirely different plant. So there's something going on. I, I can't say that I have all the answers, but... It is worth looking into. Um, anyway, uh, Wheat Belly is an, an interesting book and makes some pretty astonishing claims. Here we go. We have, um, hold on a second. Slurpee, Slushy, You Say Tomato, same difference. This is from Michael. Um, okay, so Slurpee and Slushy are the same? All right, there we go. Bub, if you ever had a fresh bang yutao from a sidewalk cart, that is washed down with warm doujiang. You wouldn't say soy milk is poison. My wife makes her own dujiang with a machine that grinds up the soybeans, adds hot water, and produces the real deal. American soy milk you buy uh, in a carton is a pale imitation. Not sure I'd ever take food advice from a guy who ate sticks of butter. Also, don't think I'll take your advice on natural history a civet doesn't look like a bat without wings. It's a friggin' cat. Well, excuse me, Michael. Uh, <laughs> first of all, I, I think I ate a stick of butter when I was like four, okay? So I don't think that's really fair. And the civet, I, I will leave that to the judgment of the audience, what a civet looks like. But yes, uh, civet coffee comes from their poop. It's very, very expensive. And homemade soy milk, I, I will I will concede this. Homemade almond milk, homemade Brazil nut milk can be absolutely delicious Uh, the stuff you get in the store though with soy milk is really gross just i'm just saying does not taste good you know soy milk is poison i stand behind it uh mary next up here mass state senate massachusetts uh just voted to make us a sanctuary state via something called the immigrant civil rights protection act disgusted and disheartened oh marie it's it's just lawlessness. And, and you know, I, I don't know how people can see it as anything other than that. You're you're trying to you're using state and local government to obstruct a lawful exercise of the federal government's law enforcement authorities. And that's what that's what it is. So in Massachusetts, not surprising, Massachusetts is very blue. You know, but, uh, you know, sanctuary city, we will be a sanctuary city. Will not allow a cause to. Uh, no, I can't do a Boston. I know. We got a very robust Team Buck Boston contingent, and they're like, Buck, come on. Keep, keep it in your wheelhouse, son. Stay in New York. Uh, let's go to Jen, who writes Great show. <laughs> there you go, Jen. You're learning. Question If Trump cannot block people harassing him on YouTube, then uh, why can YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter defund and terminate accounts of conservatives because they feel it's hate speech? It's all so absurd. Jen. I agree. It all is absurd and you raise some very interesting points. All right, team, that's going to be it for today. Thank you for being here with me in the Freedom Hut tomorrow, a Freestyle Friday in advance of the holiday weekend. We'll get into that and much more. Until next time, Shields Hot. When you're at work, your dogs are cooped up all day inside. So, you know, when you get home, they want to burn off some energy and start running around. But you know what? If they get under your fence, now you've got a safety problem, the dog can be running around, who knows how close they are to the street, they could just disappear into the woods. You don't want that headache, you don't want that problem. That's where dig defense comes in. Dig defense is genius. It solves the problem that pen owners have of digging. It also means, by the way, that predators like foxes, raccoons, skunks, you name it, they can't dig under the fence to get into your yard comes in a bunch of different models. It's easy to install with a hammer and pair of gloves. It's available right now at Lowe's, Menards, Wayfair, and online. Check out Dig Defense at stopthedig.com. That's stopthedig.com. No more pets going out under the fence, no more predators coming in. Dig Defense.